Today I'm breaking away from our series on the fivefold ministries for a very important reason. Tomorrow is Father's Day. Yeah. And so because I did something on Mother's Day, I've been warned by several fathers that I better do something on Father's Day. So we're going to take a, a, a break from that. We'll pick that up next week. But I do want to focus on Father's Day. So the title of my sermon is The Ten Commandments of Fatherhood. I bet you didn't know there were Ten Commandments related to fatherhood. Well, there is. I came up with them. So get ready. I think you're going to enjoy them. We live in a day when everything is being turned upside down and redefined. And fatherhood stands against all of it. If it were not for godly fathers, where would our world be today? In this teaching, we will look at the Ten Commandments for fatherhood. I believe you'll be inspired and challenged and thankful for this institution that God gave us called fatherhood. May God bless all of our fathers as they make a way and lead us into our futures. That's the essence of what fathers do. So let's look at the Ten Commandments. Number one, fathers love and honor God, who is the Father of fathers. First and foremost, fathers honor God as the ultimate Father. Malachi 2.10, do we not all have one Father Has not one God created all of us? Jesus said in Matthew 6, 9, instructing his disciples on how to pray, begins with this. Pray then in this way, Our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. Ephesians 3, 14 through 15, Paul says, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. That's the greatest of all the commandments, to love and honor God, who is our Father in heaven and Father's. Godly fathers prioritize this list by putting God, the Father of fathers, at the top of the list, the number one commandment. Number two, fathers put Yeshua and his kingdom first in their lives. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. John 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 6, 65, and he was saying to them, Jesus speaking here, for this reason I've said to you that no one can come to me unless it's been granted him from the Father. So you see this divine conspiracy in the heavens where the Father is all about the Son, and the Son is all about the Father, and they safeguard each other's dignity and roles and functions. The Father's absolutely 
in love with his son, his only begotten son, who he gave in order to be a sacrifice for our sins. What Jesus endured in becoming a human being and living among us, later being rejected and scourged, tormented, crucified on a cross, what he went through was so absolutely fierce and uh, terrible. Do you think that God would allow anyone to come to him through any other person? No, only through his son. The father has a place for his son that no other being has. The father's all about the son, and he's saying to us, exalt my son, lift up my son. As Elder Randy was pointing out, like the serpent was lifted in the wilderness and brought healing, so his son will be lifted up and exalted and draw all men unto himself. The father saying, listen up, I want you to focus on my son. Give your heart to my son. He's the savior of the world. So fathers embrace Yeshua as their Lord and Savior, modeling for their children what it means to prioritize the Father and the Son in their lives. Number three, commandment number three. Fathers love and nurture the mothers who procreated children with them. This is one of the highlights of fatherhood. The fathers turn to their, their, their wives who are the mothers of their children and they lift them up and they love them and they nurture them and they provide for them. This is part of what it means to be a father, to love your wife as you love yourself. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Together they become a new household. They start their journey together. Men, leave your mothers and your fathers. Cling to your wives. They're the priority. Your wife is your priority. She's your soulmate. She's your best friend. She's your lover. She's the one that gives you children. Fathers love and nourish the mothers who procreated children with them. Now, children are the gift of God. They're the highest gift that's given to us outside of Yeshua. I mean, kids are like amazing, and grandkids are even better. There, I'm telling you by experience. Like the old saying goes, grandchildren are the reward for not killing your kids. Now, our wives are the ones that offer up their lives and their bodies to make sure that these glorious gifts that we call children come to us. Our first child revolutionized our marriage. Our first child completely transformed how I viewed my wife. I would never see her the same ever again. What she went through coming up to the point of birth and all the challenges, 
in many ways, frightening at times. All that she endured to give life, to give birth to our first daughter, Jess. And I remember because we went through the natural, it was, you know, it, you know everything, everything was changing back in those days. There was a time in which men, you were not allowed in, in, in the room when your wife was giving birth. You just weren't allowed. And then all that kind of got turned around and all of a sudden for the first time, men were encouraged to be in there with their wives. Now I was part of that generation where that changed. So I went into the room. My, you know, my dad's like, what's that all about, son? You're not supposed to be in there. You know, he's like, we don't do that, you know? And I said, no, you, you know, everything's changed. Now I'm going to be in there. I'm going to be right there with her, dad. And I was. And I was scared. Oh my gosh, I'm thinking, what am I doing? Where's the exit? And what she went through in giving birth was so Unbelievable. In terms of, of, of just, just the pain and the toil, she gave birth to our daughter, and I said to myself, what an amazing woman. I will never see her like I have now. Never appreciate her more than I do now. Never respect her in a greater way than what I do now because of what she went through. Body, soul, and spirit to give us this child. And my love and my respect for my wife soared at that point because of what she endured to give us our child. Commandment number four. Fathers love and honor their parents who instructed them about fatherhood. That's slide 60. Fathers love and honor their parents who instructed them about fatherhood. Exodus 20, 12, it says, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. I know everyone has a gripe or several gripes about their parents. You know, my mom this and that, and my daddy wasn't there for me. Yeah, I, I know that. There's no perfect moms. There's no perfect dads. God didn't say, honor your father if he was perfect and your mother if she was perfect. God says, you honor your mother and your father. No, they're not perfect, but what they endure to bring you into this world and raise you up, you respect and honor them. I'm growing up complaining about this and that man. As soon as I had my own wife and my own child and all the responsibilities, I saw my parents in a different light. I became grateful. I loved them like I never loved them before because I realized, wow, having a family is a whole lot of pain and toil and work. Now it's worth it, that's for sure. It's worth it, right? But fathers learn in becoming fathers, to honor their parents who showed them what it, what it means to be a father. And by honoring and loving our parents, fathers model what it means to be a parent. Commandment number five, fathers love and instruct 
their children. One of the roles of a father is he's supposed to instruct his children in the ways of the Lord as it relates to everything under the sun. Not just spiritual things, but things like a work ethic, things like the value of being honest and transparent, the things related to integrity, finances, business, politics. The job of a father is to teach and instruct his children in the ways of the Lord. Let me give you just a few important ones, okay? These are important ones that we as fathers are commissioned to do. Identity issues. One of the subline issues of our day. Identity issues. Children need to know who they are and where they come from. Why? Because they don't know who they are or where they come from. They're born without that knowledge. They need someone to help them sort that out. Who they are, identity, right? Where'd they come from? These are things that really well up in the side of a child as they grow. We are either male or female, period. We're either male or female. This is a biblical view of identity. Yes, there's other views, all kinds of other views. Truth is what is real. Reality is rooted in truth. There's all kinds of views out there that are not true. Thus, they're not reality. But if you embrace them, they become your reality. And those realities are not pleasant. They're not going to produce life. They'll end in misery and death. We're supposed to look for truth and find out what is real in, in accordance with God's design so that we can be a, a blessed and a whole person. So Genesis 1, 27 through 28 says God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Biology is binary. It's either male or female. That's the design of God. That's the image of God. That's who God is, actually. Men and women are uniquely different and tailored for each other. That's what we need to teach our kids growing up. Men and women are different. We're different. We're not, we're not the same. We're actually different. All husbands and wives are aware of the profound and somewhat mysterious differences between their genders i've been married for man 40 plus years i still don't know her she is a mystery you know i forget the author that wrote the book men are from mars women are from venus man it's a great book it's a great book we are from different planets not different states, not different nations. We're like different planets. Yeah. 
We think different. We process different. We are fundamentally different, but yet complementary, tailored for each other. And we need to celebrate that. Everyone will ultimately come to the reality that one of the sexes is forever inaccessible. As a child, you may think differently, but as you grow, the older you get, the wiser you get, you begin to realize, I am a man and I will never be a woman. And as much as I want to be a woman and all the things I can do to become a woman in the end, I still will not fully understand what a woman is because that's not who I am. It's not accessible to me by the design of God. That other sex will always be somewhat mysterious. It's the design of God. It's how he made us. However, together in marriage, we can procreate a human being. Procreate, that means to create with God. A human being, which is the very image of God. It takes a man and a woman to do that. It goes on to say, verse 28, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Children, you know, they say, where, where'd we come from? A pelican. A pelican brought you to us. Now that works when they're really young, but at a given point, they know that is just BS, bad scholarship. They want to know where we come from. And the fact of the matter is, all of us come from the sexual love of a father and a mother. That's where we come from. From that sexual union and love between a man and a woman, their love for one another. And it's at a very early age that we begin to perceive our biological sexual identity. See, that child is saying, ah, where did I come from? Who, who are you? And, and man, dad's different than mom, and mom's different from dad. I remember, I remember, I remember I was taking a bath, and one of my daughters, very, very young, I think she's about three years old, she says to Dawn, who was in the bathroom putting on her makeup, she whispers, hey, mom. Don says, what? She says, dad's different from us, huh? Yeah, she's starting to figure out mom and dad are different. That's, that's just part of human nature. And, and what kids begin to understand is that as, they grow, uh, as they're growing up, we're different. And the important thing for a child, what's very important for a child, is that that child identifies with the gender of their parent. So the little girl begins to say, oh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a female, like, like my mom, I'm a woman, unlike my dad. And the little boy says, oh, I'm like my dad. They begin to embrace their sexual identity through their parents. 
By education through the family, they begin to understand and form and embrace their sexual identity. This is what we call sexual identity. One of a father's tasks is to help their children embrace their sexual identity. Keep in mind, the Bible says that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Foolishness, rooted in ignorance, is bound up in the heart of a child. You agree with that? Remember Art Linkletter, for those that are old enough? Art Linkletter, the television show, Kids say the darndest things. Yeah, and he asks kids little questions. You know, these kids are like five years old, four years old, you know. He'd ask them a question, and they'd say crazy stuff. And everyone's laughing. It was a TV show. And it was just illustrating how crazy kids think. I mean, it illustrates the foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. They're just like out there just saying things because they really don't know. They need to be instructed. If your child comes home from school and says, I'm a fish, you know, kid comes home, six years old, yeah, hey, daddy, I'm a fish. What do, you, what do you say to your son or your daughter? Do you say, oh, gosh, thanks for telling me. I didn't know that. Let me go buy you a swimming pool so you can live in accordance with your identity. Let's celebrate that. Get you a swimming pool and a bowl of worms. Mom, get a bowl of worms for the kid. Kid's a fish. Got to support that identity that that kid is instructing us about. Isn't that just crazy upside down? Where the kids are determining who they are and the parents have to bow to that? See, that's the crazy world we live in. And kids are confused they need to be instructed. That's the job of moms and dads. You don't affirm that. You say, no, exactly the opposite. You're not a fish. I know you might want to be a fish, but guess what? You're not a fish. You are a human being made in the image of God, a very child of the creator himself. You instruct them. You drive the foolishness out. You give them truth so they can perceive reality around them and actually be happy within the realm of God's design. That's what you do. The same goes with their sexual identity. If your son come home, comes home and says, I'm a girl, or your daughter comes home and says, I'm a boy, what do you do? You're supposed to help them resolve their confusion. Your job is to help them because they do. They get confused, and that's okay. They're kids. They don't need to be berated in any sense. They're, they're just kids. They're exploring things. They're learning things, right? You help them. You, you, you teach them the truth so they can understand it and align themselves with it. You're the parent. You're not a peer. You're the parent. They don't realize it, but they're relying on you 
in order to understand what is true and real about the world they live in, about who they are. Our biological sexual identity is self-evident. It's self-evident. It doesn't need to be explained to our teachers today, our politicians today. If, if you have to explain what is self-evident, it's no longer self-evident. It is clear in nature itself and in the scriptures, the word of God, what our sexual identities are. Fathers are charged by God to help their children embrace their self-evident sexual identity. As a result, our children will have a basis for a true orientation and perspective of who they are and the world that they are a part of. That's what fathers are supposed to do. We're also supposed to instruct our children in regard to biblical marriage and biblical parenthood. Biblical marriage and parenthood has always been based on the sexual love between a man and a woman. Two men cannot sexually procreate. Two women cannot sexually procreate. Only a man and a woman can procreate. This reality is self-evident. Why we have to teach our kids now is crazy, but we have to more than ever because our school system, our leadership, our society, our culture is absolutely confused. Leviticus 18, 19, and 20 further sheds light on the foundations of sexual purity, sexual identity as founded originally in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. It teaches us how to safeguard and respect sexual identity. It teaches us how to respect and safeguard the opposite sex. It teaches us how to value and safeguard sexuality as God intended it so that we can fully experience the joy and bliss of that. In addition, fathers are to instruct their children on their need for Jesus. Not only is foolishness bound up in the heart of a child, but a child needs to be born again. They need Jesus too. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're born as sinners. It's part of our nature. We need to teach our kids what sin is and that the wages of sin is death and the free gift God of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, John 3, 16, we need to tell our kids, God so loved the world that he gave us his son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. We need to lead our children to the Messiah. That's what we do as fathers. We help our children come to faith, come to believe in who Jesus is. With Dawn, I taught our girls about God, creation, sin, redemption, and Messiah. We read them the great stories of the Bible. We got videos for them. We taught them how to pray taught them how to relate to God. We brought them to church week in, week out, and helped them to understand the different spheres of delegated authority. The home, its authority structure. The church, the authority structure within that. The state and its authority. We led them to Messiah at early ages when they were ready. We led, led them in, in, into a relationship with Jesus. 
And then we had our elders of our church baptize them. We helped them to make strong commitments to the local church. We taught them how to prosper in every way. They learned a strong work ethic and how to faithfully give 10% of their income to the local church that they were a part of. That's what we're charged to do. Number six, fathers discipline their children. Hebrews chapter 12. Have you forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. He scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all of you have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as they seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good so that we may share in his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. No one likes, well, I don't know, I, you know, I'm a baby boomer, so we got spanked back in our day. Y'all get timeouts now. I don't even know what that is. Is that like, you, you can't kick the soccer ball, you have to sit for a while? I don't, we got spanked by our dads for bad behavior. I even got spanked for bad attitude. If I had a bad attitude, I'd get a spanking. I didn't think that was very just. I begged to differ with my dad. When I got older, though, I recognized how important that was, and I valued it. I was grateful I got spanked for a bad attitude. I, I learned the value of a great attitude, a good attitude, and what it produces. I'm glad he showed me that and helped me understand it through spankings. Say, be careful, you know, social services might go get him. Well, they have to dig six feet to get to him, so I think we're okay. I can talk about that now. Dad, you're safe. He gave us chores. The boys had to mow the lawn every week. We had to clean, clean the, the garage, which he just had in a mess every week. Had to clean and straighten it up. And I remember one, one time, because, you know, you, you, you just want to play. It's the weekend. You want to play, right? You know, it's like, did you mow the lawn? No, no, get out and mow the lawn, you know. Okay, I mow the lawn. Can I go play? Well, did you straighten out the garage? No, didn't do that. I thought I'd do that later on tonight. Go straighten out the garage, you know. Ah, good grief. I remember one week, I got up early. I mowed the lawn. I got the garage straightened out. It's still fairly early. I was so happy. I went inside. I said, Dad, can I go play? He said, did you mow the lawn? I said, yeah, I did. You cleaned the garage? I said, yes, I did. It's all clean. So I'm going to go play. He says, go sweep the, sweep the street. I said, what? He says, go sweep the street. I said, Dad, I mowed the lawn. I cleaned the garage. I did my chores. I want to go play. He says, no, go sweep the street first. I said, Dad, there's cars in the street. He says, well, be careful. Watch, watch, watch what you're doing. Now go sweep the street. I'm out there with a broom, 
sweeping the street in front of our house. I'm thinking nobody else does this. It's the McClellans. We, we do things like this. Why? Because my dad wanted me to learn a strong work ethic, to be responsible, to do what you're told to do. What, Glenn? That's awesome, man. That's right. That is awesome. He's a boomer, too. There you go. Man, that's... that's man. All right. So, tell you another story. Go Broncos! It was back in the day when when the Broncos really stunk, you know, back in those early years. And uh, who, was our, who was the coach? Forget his name. Back in the, like... No, this is... What? This is... I'm talking uh, way be, decades before him. Anyway, you'd know. Glenn would know. Okay. So, we're downstairs on the couch. Whole family's sitting there watching the Broncos. It was part of the religion, I guess. And... Uh, and man, my oldest brother, he would get so worked up. He was just like worked up, yelling, you know, my dad telling him to settle down. And, and finally, finally, you know, the Broncos really blow it like they usually do. And so my brother just, you know, just lets out a big old cuss word, you know. So all of a sudden, everything's quiet. We're all looking at my brother, looking at my dad, you know. Like, what's going to happen? My dad says, Mickey, go to your room. My brother says, what? It's the Broncos. Yeah, I can't go to the room. He says, no, 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 no. No cussing in this house. Go to your room. He says, dad, dad, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He says, I won't do it anymore. He says, just let me watch the Broncos. Go to your room. My brother gets up, slumps his shoulders and walks to his room. My mom says, that was kind of hard. My father says, no cussing in this house. No cussing. My mom says, it's the Broncos. He says, no cussing, even with the Broncos. So the game's going on. The Broncos are really getting slaughtered, and they do some stupid thing. My dad lets one out. Everything's quiet. Looking at my mom, looking at my dad, looking at my mom, looking at my dad, right? My mom says, Mike, go to your room. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, no way. What's dad going to do, right? What is dad going to do? It was quiet. My dad looked at it. They kind of stared at each other. My dad got up, slumped his shoulders, went upstairs, went to his room. (laughs) The lesson I learned that day in our house was no one is above the law, not even dad. That's Torah, by the way. All right, number seven. I got to rush. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Some of the ways that we provoke them to anger is when we neglect them. We don't spend any time with them. We miss the big things in their lives. That provokes a child to anger. A child wants to spend time with his dad. We got to make time to spend with our kids and get into the things that really move their hearts. Our job as fathers is to help them find and discover what moves them and then get behind that and help them do those things. Number eight, fathers provide for the children. Fundamentals, food, clothes, shelter, scripture, prayer, worship, good deeds, recreation time, inheritance. Proverbs 13, 22, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. 
That's hard to do. I'm just trying to get an inheritance for your children, let alone your grandchildren. That's no easy task. It's okay. It goes on to say, and the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. So whatever dad can't do, it's okay. God's going to take the wealth of the sinner and give it to you anyway. It's all going to work out. So we'll, we'll, we'll get there, right? But those are some of the goals of fatherhood. Fathers lead by example. They lead by example. They just don't instruct. They also lead by example. And then finally, fathers band together to create communities, states, nations that will secure and safeguard our inalienable, God-given rights. That's what fathers do. We learned this from the Exodus and Israel becoming a nation under God's rule and reign. We learned that we too need to create nations that are under the laws of nature and nature's God, or we become doomed. Everything that is true and good will come under attack. Confusion and chaos will overwhelm us. Misery and death will pursue us. Part of the gospel of Jesus and his kingdom is the very mandate to establish governments that will safeguard our inalienable rights, privileges, responsibilities, and way of life. If we neglect to do this and to maintain this, the only thing we can look forward to is oppression, persecution, slavery, and ultimately martyrdom. So civil life is important. National life is important. Making sure we elect the right people to get in, to, to make sure we're basing our laws on the laws of nature and nature's God, that we're securing you know, the rights that God has given to us, that's important. Because if we don't, we are not going to have churches. And if we get caught worshiping Jesus in our basements, we're going to go to prison. That's what you see in, in communist countries. So fathers are also involved in politics. They lead the way. All right, what I want to do is I want to bring fathers forward at this time and uh, just bless them. And so if you're a father, I want you to come forward, and as a community, we just want to bless you today. And as you're coming forward, uh, as you come forward and, and stand up here, after that, we're going to release everyone with the Aronic benediction, but I don't want you to leave. I don't want you to leave because we still have some time. I want to play a song for you as fathers, uh, reminding us, of course, come stand up here, reminding us, of course, that, that, that one of the greatest things that we can do as fathers is lead our children to Jesus. Help our, help our kids experience Jesus. That's one of the things we're called to do as fathers. And you've done great jobs in regards to that. I'm so proud of our men. I'm so proud of our fathers and what you're doing with your families and your children. It's remarkable. And uh, we thank you for that. So you are the men, you are the fathers, you are the leaders of not only your homes, your marriages, but this community as well. You're the ones that shape the future, the next generation. We rely on you to be the fathers God's called you to be so that our kids can carry the baton to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. Our kids, because of you, know where they are placed in this world 
in their genealogy of those who have went before them and then those that they will procreate in their marriages as they carry on the legacy that God has given to all of us. So we want to say to you as fathers, we love you, you're appreciated, you are our leaders. Thank you for answering the call to fatherhood. We bless you. We know you're not perfect. Your kids told us so. But we think you are doing a great job, and we join with you in that. So I want you to turn to the community, and let's just bless them. I will lead you in a prayer. Father, we thank you for our men, and we thank you especially for our fathers who are up here today. And we recognize that in them is you as a father. Your fatherhood is in and through them. We thank you for what you've done in and through them and what's coming to their children in our community. So we ask that you would return to them blessing upon blessing. Give them peace, give them joy, give them meaning and purpose, give them prosperity, give them everything they need to continue on being the fathers and the grandfathers that they are today. We love them and bless them in Yeshua's name. Amen.